Well, hello, and welcome to the Jazz Focus, a podcast focusing on uh, certain small and focused elements of a jazz recorded history. My name is John Clark, and happy you're back with us again. Hopefully you're back with us again, or if this is your first time, welcome. Hope you enjoy the program. I'm going to be talking today and listening to some music created by the Chick Webb Orchestra in Harlem in oh, about 1939-1940. This is at the very end of the career and indeed the end of the life of the drummer Chick Webb. Uh, Webb was considered to be one of the foremost swing era drummers, which is remarkable considering the fact that he was actually quite handicapped. He uh, had been born in 1905 in Baltimore, Maryland uh, to an African-American family. He had had an accident as an infant. He had fallen down some stairs apparently and damaged his spine, which in some way led to uh, something called Potts disease, which is essentially tuberculosis of the spine and gave him a hunchback and made him uh, a chronic pain sufferer for the rest of his life. He didn't grow much over four feet, I don't think. Um, So he had elements of dwarfism and uh, Lots of issues you would think would uh, argue against his becoming a, a powerful drummer, which indeed he did become. He had uh, different uh, pedals and rigs set up on his his uh, drum kit so that he could reach all the different things and create all the sounds the drummer would uh, during that period. Indeed, he was considered uh, by his contemporaries and the next generation of drummers to be a real trendsetter in the uh, field of jazz drumming. Buddy Rich. Art Blakey, uh, Gene Krupa, they all uh, really paid homage to Chick Webb and how he could drive a big band. He didn't record too often with small groups. Uh, very occasionally uh, when he would have a small group taken out of his orchestra to make a recording, but his, uh, really, his prime influence was with his big band. So Webb came to New York as a late teenager, I guess, in the middle 1920s. He had started playing drums at the age of 11 or 12 when, uh, after his accident, his doctors had suggested that he do something like that to try to build him up a little bit, and uh, he had picked the drums and become quite uh, adept on them, although he never learned to read music, which is interesting because as a big band drummer, you have to have some acquaintance with uh, arrangements and so forth, but he had a some sort of a photo, photo, uh, photographic or eidetic memory for arrangements, so he could hear something played once, and then he would know it. He'd be able to do the fills. He'd even be able to conduct the arrangement after that. Buddy Rich was the same way. So by the late 1920s, he was leading different groups in New York, and uh, by about 1930, he had become the house band leader at the Savoy uh, Ballroom in Harlem. He also had made a short film for Vitaphone called After Seven, uh, in which there was a, a, a a contest of uh, dancers, African-American dancers, doing the Lindy Hop. And you can see Chick Webb and a few of his musicians sort of behind them as they're doing their dances. He began recording in about 1930, 1929, 30. He did a few tunes. He had quite a number of soon-to-be-famous musicians who passed through his band at different times in the late 20s, including people like Johnny Hodges and uh, briefly Benny Carter and... um, Jimmy Harrison, Bobby Stark, people like that, some of whom uh, played with him later on, but uh, he uh, was known as a very fair leader. He, uh, of course, knew how to swing a band and and really prioritized the jazz feel of his orchestra, so musicians, jazz musicians, were very happy to play with him for a variety of reasons. 
He began recording with a full-size big band in about 1934 for Decca and uh, Columbia and some different labels. And uh, he had a, a very good organization at that time. It had people like uh, Bobby Stark and Taft Jordan playing trumpet, um, Sandy Williams on trombone. He had uh, Elmer Williams and Teddy McRae on tenor saxes. He had Edgar Sampson playing alto and uh, doing many of the arrangements and compositions. Tunes like Don't Be That Way and Stoppin' at the Savoy were composed essentially for the Chick Webb Band, although other bands had more uh, popular recordings of those songs. He also had a very fine rhythm section uh, with uh, several different piano players, including uh, Don Kirkpatrick and Tommy Fulford. Uh, he had a fellow named John Trueheart on guitar who uh, stayed with him for much of his career. He had Beverly Peer on bass, and there were other people who came in and out as well. Taft Jordan was uh, one of the main commercial uh, uh, aspects of the band. In addition to playing a wonderful Louis Armstrong style trumpet, he sang like Louis and he could clown and do comedy and MC and do all that sort of thing. Uh, a little bit later, uh, Webb hired a singer and an MC uh, named Charles Linton, uh, who was a, a very high tenor when he was singing. And Bardu Ali was another one who was a conductor of the band, even though he didn't have much to do with the musical direction of it. But it wasn't until oh, the middle part of 1935 that the band found its true commercial potential when uh, Ella Fitzgerald uh, appeared from nowhere, basically. She was a, a poor girl who has been singing almost literally on the streets of Harlem. She won a talent show, and John Hammond was very impressed with her and actually brought her to Fletcher Henderson's attention, but Henderson wasn't interested, so somehow she made it to Chick Webb, and Chick wasn't terribly interested either, but he decided to take a chance and found that Ella's talent uh, in, in singing a variety of different material and being able to uh, phrase like a jazz musician was something that became very popular very quickly. She also had a way with a song, uh, with a nursery rhyme, for example, a tisket, a tasket, oh Johnny, oh Johnny. Those were songs that were really the most popular things that the Chick Webb band did, and Ella Fitzgerald was their primary commercial property after that. Uh, also for a while, someone who was involved with Ella Fitzgerald was saxophonist Louis Jordan, who also was a big commercial uh, property for a while as a player, but mainly as a singer. He left uh, a couple of years later and tried to take Ella with him when he formed his Timpani Five, but she wasn't having any of that. She wanted to stay with Chick Webb. She felt a great loyalty to him. Everyone who heard the Chick Webb band in person or who played with it said that the recordings never really did it justice because it could just keep building performances when it wasn't being um, restricted by the two and a half or three minute uh, uh, maximum of, of the 78 RPM records that they were recording on. And they could build up to a tremendous uh, climax of, of rhythm and, and tension uh, that was really fed by Chick Webb's drumming style. He, could, uh, he, he was a master of uh, dynamics and phrasing and uh, just building uh, through a performance. And when they would have the battles of the bands, for example, uh, at the Savoy, Webb almost invariably won. Apparently he lost to Duke Ellington at one point, but he beat Basie, he beat Goodman, he beat all of the other bands. His, his band was just too intense for them to deal with. Um, so we, we get a little bit of a sense of that from their commercial recordings, but primarily we can hear this on their live recordings, and there are a couple of live recordings of the Chick Webb Band. We're going to hear a couple of them right now. 
these recordings were taken at the very end of Webb's life. He had been, as I said, quite sick with his uh, tuberculosis of the spine. He was going downhill throughout the 30s. He often had to stop playing at different times. They, the band sometimes had to keep a second drummer handy just in case. He had had some major surgery early in uh, 1939, and he ended up uh, passing away in June of 1939. These two broadcast dates that we're going to hear, uh, I guess the first one came from before the surgery. Uh, well, actually, I don't think it did. It came from... Um, probably not too long after the surgery, on February 10th of 1939, and the last one was from May 4th of 1939, just about six weeks before he passed away. And there doesn't seem to be any diminution of his powers or his ability. He was uh, uh, known as one of the loudest drummers uh, when he wanted to be, and uh, as I said, he could really drive a band. So we're going to start by listening to a few of the sides from both of those recording sessions. Uh, one was, the first one was done in New York, and the second one was from the Southland Cafe in Boston. So we're going to start with Count Basie's theme song, One O'Clock Jump, and this is a cover, of course, by Chick Webb. He sort of uses the arrangement, takes it much faster, uh, and features a number of his soloists. I'll tell you who they are in just a second. Then we're going to hear a Rodgers and Hart tune called Blue Room, a good swinging arrangement of that. Then we'll hear what Ella Fitzgerald brought to the table with a lovely ballad called Deep in a Dream by uh, Jimmy Van Heusen and uh, uh, Hudson Delange, um, or Eddie Delange, really, uh, rather. And this is a song that uh, goes well beyond the three-minute limit of a, of a standard 78. This is a tune that's familiar to me from cartoons. This is sort of sleepy time music in Warner Brothers cartoons of the 1930s. Then we're going to finish up that session with a uh, version of My Wild Irish Rose. And uh, this is definitely not a sentimental Irish performance of this tune. So those are our four numbers. And now let me tell you who some of the soloists are. We have Taft Jordan playing many of the trumpet solos, although I believe Bobby Stark was uh, featured a little bit too. We'll find out as we go along. Dick Vance also played trumpet. He did some of the arranging for the band. Sandy Williams, George Matthews, and Nat Story are the trombone players. I believe Sandy Williams is the soloist uh, when we hear a trombone solo, although I think on Deep in a Dream it might actually be George Matthews. Playing lead alto is the great Hilton Jefferson. Uh, we'll hear a little bit of him. Garvin Bushell plays second alto and does the clarinet work. Teddy McRae plays the tenor solos, and Wayman Carver uh, also plays tenor, and if we hear any flute, it will be by him. In the rhythm section, with Chick Webb on drums, of course, we have Tommy Fulford on piano, John Truhart on guitar, and Beverly Peer on bass. And this was a very... Um, uh, regular band. This was not uh, a band that people were going in and out of uh, all that much. It was a very stable group of musicians who had been together for several years, so they really played well together. So let's hear uh, some of the live recordings of Chick Webb and his orchestra from 1939. Thank you. 
one exciting band right there. So the first three tunes we heard uh, were One O'Clock Jump, Blue Room, and Deep in a Dream. Deep in a Dream is an especially nice tune. Very long arrangement there. Wouldn't have fit on one side of a 78, but um, they uh, really go to town on that on, on a longer version of, of, on a live recording. I think the trumpet solos we heard all through there was, in fact, Bobby Stark. Uh, he had been around since the late 1920s. He had played with Fletcher Henderson's band. He was a, also a fairly short fellow with a volcanic temper, apparently, and a pretty hefty drinking problem, but he was an exciting trumpet soloist. He uh, lived into the 1940s. I think he passed away quite young, but he left some marvelous recordings. Very, very underrated swing-era trumpet solo. 
Then we had uh, Sandy Williams, of course, playing trombone solos on most of that. Deep in a Dream was a straight solo, so I think that might have been uh, George Matthews, who was playing the lead trombone parts, as far as I know. We heard some Tommy Fulford playing piano on One O'Clock Jump. We heard some excellent Garvin Bushell, possibly some of the best uh, clarinet solos that he ever recorded. Uh, he had been around since the late 1910s. He had played with Ethel Waters and Sam Wooding's band. He had been for a while with Fletcher Henderson's band in Chicago in the 30s. Uh, he had really been around the block many times as a, as a musician, uh, playing very high-profile uh, jobs and show jobs. He was a doubler. He could play all the saxophones, clarinet, and he was a good bassoonist and oboist as well, although he became a much better double reed player later in life, and he can even be heard on some of the John Coltrane uh, 60s sessions. I think the uh, Africa Brass and uh, even some of his live sessions, I think Bushell, who was then in his 60s, was playing on. We also heard Teddy McRae on tenor sax and a very pretty solo on Deep in a Dream that sounded like an alto for a while, but I believe it was uh, uh, him playing just a very sweet-sounding tenor sax solo. And all the way through it, we heard the drumming of Chick Webb. Those first three tunes were from uh, the February date in 1939, and uh, I believe they were recorded in New York. The last tune, which was a drum feature, My Wild Irish Rose, uh, came from the Southland Cafe in Boston in uh, 1939, a little bit later. That was in May, just about six weeks, five or six weeks before Webb died. So... Um, Amazing to think he was playing a, a solo like that uh, and, and, and living out his last days in great pain. Uh, but certainly no, no, no evidence on the performance uh, side that he was in pain or uh, that the end was near. We're going to hear a couple of more recordings from that uh, May date. Um, two tunes. We're going to hear a really hot version of the Stars and Stripes Forever, which is not a tune you usually think of swing, uh, being put to. There was a, a, I think it was a Air Force band or a Navy band version of that that uh, big bands were playing for a while in the 80s and 90s. And uh, Bob Crosby uh, had a recording of the of different marches, including the Stars and Stripes Forever, in the 50s for choral. But uh, this is an out-and-out -out jazzer with solos and uh, a very exciting uh, finale. Then we're going to go to a slower tune. Um, that uh, Elif sings, and it's If I Didn't Care, the big hit for the Ink Spots around the same time. And that has a, a nice laid-back quality to it as well. Then we're going to go uh, to the band after Chick's death. It was led by Ella Fitzgerald, and it came to be known as Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra. And Chick's place was taken by Bill Beeson, who was a very underrated drummer. It's hard to um, replace uh, a personality like Chick Webb, but Beeson did about as well as could be expected there. So this band uh, was recording from the Savoy Ballroom in Harlem in January of 1940, so a little less than a year after the first sessions we heard, and we're going to hear still a pretty well-drilled band. We're going to hear uh, the same trumpet section, uh, well, almost the same trumpet section, Taft Jordan and Dick Vance. Instead of Bobby Stark, we have Irving Mouse Randolph, who will take a solo here and there. Same trombones, Sandy Williams, Nat Story, and George Matthews, as far as we know. Hilton Jefferson playing lead alto. Wayman Carver and Teddy McRae on tenor and baritone saxes. And instead of Garvin Bushell, we have Eddie Bearfield playing lead alto and the clarinet solos. He was also kind of the music director of the band uh, that was uh, touring under Ella's name. This band lasted until, I think, July of about 1941 or so. And that's when uh, Ella went out on her own. She started recording as a solo artist for DECA. Uh, she really wasn't cut out to be a big band leader, although she did gamely keep things 
things going for a couple of years uh, with a couple of different music directors and a whole lot of personnel changes. In the rhythm section for these broadcasts, we have Bill Beeson on drums, Beverly Peer again on bass, John Truhart on guitar, and Ram Ramirez on piano. Ram Ramirez was the composer of the standard song Lover Man, uh, and he was a very fine jazz pianist as well. So we're going to hear uh, two tunes to finish off that set from these recording dates. One is a, a hit that Ella had called Taint What You Do, It's the Way Hot You Do It. Crummy Young also sang this with the Jimmy Lunsford band. That was a, a hit for both of them. And this was actually composed by Trummy Young and Cy Oliver for the Jimmy Lunsford band. So this was a, uh, a cover recording. I believe they did record this commercially for DECA, but the live version is much more interesting, uh, as live versions usually were. Then we're going to finish up with the closing theme of the Chick Webb, song, uh, the Chick Webb band that Ella uh, maintained. It's an Edgar Sampson tune. Um, Actually, he and Chick Webb composed it together, I guess, and it's called Let's Get Together. Usually on these broadcasts, you only hear a little snippet of it as the uh, show fades out to go into the next show or commercial or whatever, but they must have had extra time on this one. We get almost a full performance of this tune, Let's Get Together, which is a real driver. This is the tempo that the Chick Webb band really specialized at, especially with Chick Webb on the drums, although Bill Beeson does himself proud here as well. So those are the four tunes we're going to hear right now, The Stars and Stripes for and if I didn't care, the Chick Webb Orchestra, and Taint What You Do, It's the Way Hot You Do It, and Let's Get Together by the former Chick Webb Orchestra, Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra. <laughs> Thank you. 
what you do, it's the way how you do it. Well, I can't say it like Ella does, but we're about to hear it now. Come on, give out, will you please? Thank you. 
out and it's time for us to tell you that swinging out for the past session you've been listening to Ella Fitzgerald the first lady of swing and her orchestra playing in their usual spot the home of happy feet the Savoy Ballroom upon Lenox Avenue in Harlem 
New York City. This is the National Broadcasting Company. They had to leave the uh, the chimes on there for the NBC broadcast. We're going to hear four more tunes from those January 1940 dates by Ella Fitzgerald and her famous orchestra. Uh, deriving from the Chick Webb Orchestra. And uh, some of these arrangements were ones that Chick probably played. I know the last one uh, Let's Get Together was, and the last one we're going to play on this next set is as well. So we're going to do uh, an old tune from the 1920s. In fact, two of them, one even older than the second one. Limehouse Blues goes back to about 1922 by Philip Bram, and it's always been a, a big jazz vehicle, and uh, we're going to hear a, a, a jazzy version of this. I don't know if Edgar Sampson did the arrangement or Al Feldman, whose name uh, was uh, actually sometimes uh, known as Van Alexander. He did a lot of arrangements. He was a white arranger who did quite a lot of the pop stuff for the Chick Webb Band, whereas Edgar Sampson did more of the jazz stuff. Dick Vance did a few as well, so these are not credited, unfortunately. So Limehouse Blues will be followed by another 20s tune by Jimmy McHugh, Digga Digga Do, uh, which is another fast minor key jazz tune that uh, the solos will have a lot of fun with. And then we're going to go to a ballad by Adamson, Silver, and Kent called Thank Your Stars, which will bring Ella to the fore again. Then we're going to finish up with a Chick Webb tune arranged in this case by Wayman Carver, and it's called Breaking Them Down, or Break Them Down actually in this case. And a good riff tune that'll bring us uh, out of our Chick Webb uh, fantasy here. So, as I said, we've heard Eddie Bearfield on clarinet, uh, a couple of solos. Hilton Jefferson may have gotten a little bit of an alto solo. He doesn't get too much feature here, unfortunately, but he leads the section. Teddy McRae is pretty well featured on tenor sax. I think we've been hearing Taft Jordan mostly on trumpet. Uh, Sandy Williams gets a lot of solos on trombone. He was a very uh, effective soloist. He, uh, after the... Um, uh, Ella Fitzgerald Band finally folded in, in, in 1941. Uh, he played on 52nd Street with several different groups. He did some Dixieland recordings, but he never really regained the prominence that he, he had with the web band. He was a, uh, a big drinker, and uh, he had major problems in his career, but I believe he came out of that in the 1960s and 70s, and I think he did uh, finish out his life uh, in a healthier fashion, and he did make some later recording dates as well. We hear a little bit of Ram Ramirez on piano. Of course, a lot of Bill Beeson on drums. It would, wouldn't be the Chick Webb Band without a drum, uh, drum feature here and there. And Ella Fitzgerald holding it all together. You can hear her making comments in, uh, during the performances as well. These are live radio broadcasts from the Savoy Ballroom. So they were playing for dancing while the broadcasts were going on. And uh, you really get the feeling that the band could connect with its audience very well. And the dance tempos that they picked were... Um, really beloved by the Savoy dancers and the Lindy Hoppers and soon to be the Jitterbuggers and all that. Chick Webb's band was considered the, the best dance band in New York for quite a while, African-American or white for that matter. So let's listen to these right now. Again, from January of 1940, we're going to hear the Limehouse Blues, Digga Digga Do, Thank Your Stars, and Break Them Down. And first, it's the Limehouse Blues. Hit it, damn. <laughs> Thank you. 
That's the Limehouse Blues. And now a pot liquor special coming up, a potpourri of bees and rhythm called Digga Digga Do. I think it'd be nice now to hear a little number called Thank Your Stars, if you have it on the rack. Thank Your Stars. Hit it. Be grateful 
about time for some real down-home cooking rhythm. Breaking down. Let's have it, Ella. Breaking down.
So there we have some fine Chick Webb and Ella Fitzgerald big band sides live from 1939 and 1940. And Ella very helpfully identifies all the soloists as we go along, especially on Limehouse Blues, the first number. We heard Teddy McRae on tenor, um, Eddie Bearfield on clarinet, whose clarinet technique had improved greatly since the uh, recordings he made in 1932 with Benny Moten. He's a very fine player. We also heard Taft Jordan on trumpet, Ram Ramirez on piano, and Sandy Williams on trombone. Those were the major soloists in this band. There were occasionally some other ones that would come and go, but those were the those were the guys from this period. So, hope you've enjoyed this Chick Webb program. That was a, an exceptional band. It's uh, fortunate we have some of these live recordings. Even the one after Chick passed away is still very impressive. Just the drive of the band at a very mid-range tempo could just uh, you, you can imagine would just bring the dancers off uh, right onto the floor and keep them there indefinitely so this is the jazz focus i am john clark if you are of a mind to sponsor us you have a little sponsorship button right on your dashboard there someplace whether you're listening to this podcast on anchor.fm or on spotify or any of the other fine platforms that carry the jazz focus hope you'd be interested in sponsoring us also if you'd like to contact me and let me know if there are any future programs you might like or uh, any other comments you might have check me out on social media under my band name wolverine jazz band it's on facebook and instagram and wolverinejazzband.com so Thank you very much. Hope you're enjoying these programs, and I'll see you on the other side.